0: Welcome to Monster Porn, Weird Fiction and Horror Podcast, the podcast that wants to try something new. It's like the Twilight Zone, if it were hosted by a comedian. Wait, you're telling me that's happening? Today's story As Full as the Moon by Matt Cummins.
1: Monday, Tuesday, or whatever day it is that you are listening. This is Matt, and I wanted to thank you again for the continued support. We have recently passed 25,000 downloads, and most of those downloads have been within the last handful of months.
0: And how much is a handful of months, Matt?
1: Well, that depends on whether or not it's a leap year. (laughs) I know. We truly started from scratch and didn't really know what we were doing to get exposure at first, so the recent growth is very encouraging.
0: If your recent growth lasts for more than four months, you should consult your physician. (laughs) Growth? No, no, that's just Larry, my vanished twin.
1: What? Yeah, you heard me. Anyways, thanks again for the reviews. I know the reason podcasts are so popular right now is for convenience, and it can be easy to forget to leave positive reviews for the things that you like. So thanks for taking the time. If you do like the show and would like to help us out, please leave a five-star rating and a review wherever you listen. If you are using the Apple Podcast app, please leave a review there as well. The rating doesn't carry any weight without the review for whatever reason that may be. Okay, that's my bit of housekeeping. Thanks again.
0: And thanks to those of you who have purchased our t-shirts. You can find them at teespring.com slash stores slash or you can find a link on our website at monsterpornpodcast.com. Don't leave out the podcast part. That will take you somewhere else entirely. That's for later. (laughs) Shh. Let the important people speak. Matt and I wear ours all the time, and they are cool and comfortable and turn lots of heads, sometimes all the way around. Lastly, are you a weird writer interested in contributing to Monster Porn? We're still open for submissions. We'd like to feature an outside author maybe a few times per year to give you some variety and to give a platform to some of the talent that's out there. Of course, we're not looking to change the core monster porn content that you've come to expect. And fear, perhaps. Find guidelines at monsterpornpodcast.com submissions. Matt, this is urgent. I've just had this thought. You've heard that the moon landing was faked, right? What if they also faked the landing of Columbus and- Shh! Brett, come here! Why are you pressing that empty Starbucks cup to the door and putting your ear to it? Are you spying on someone? Dude, dude, listen to this. Listen to this. Take that cup right there.
1: You always say that! Next week, next month, or next year! But it's just never going to happen!
2: (sighs) Patrick. I don't know how you think that's going to happen. I mean, do I look like I can produce offspring? And you? Uh, Well, you you don't have any. Oh, well, uh, you're not a woman.
1: Don't act like you couldn't if you didn't want to, Pugs! You you can produce pinna- tentacles from out of nowhere, and you can you can re- reanimate dead things.
2: How how do you uh how do you, how do you know that I uh, uh, oh oh
1: oh? You really think that I am that naive? Like I don't really know what's going on.
2: Well uh oh well, this this is a bit awkward. I mean, you were trying to uh. Investigate me, Uh, well, you know that—that makes me want to devour flesh and souls.
1: What are you talking about?
2: Oh, uh, nothing. Uh, What are you talking about?
1: You know what I'm talking about.
2: Oh, you know about uh, about
1: about that? How could I not? Just because is closed doesn't mean I can't hear the noises and see the glow of the screen or that I don't find your your tissues I, uh... just because you can bring celebrities back from the dead and make them fight to the death doesn't mean you, 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 you should I know you're planning on putting that on YouTube as part of your whole cause societal decay from distraction agenda but, but really David Bowie versus Michael Jackson I mean just too
2: soon Oh well, well, fine. So you think just because I can create a life that I that I that I should? Do you think I'll be a good father? I am the Desolator,
1: the Annihilator of Abath Kanath, Yada 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 yada. What are you hiding from, Puggles?
2: Oh, oh, well, well, fine. You wanna know? You really wanna know? I I had children once, sixteen hundred of them on the planet Zor Al Agoop! And do you know what happened to them? They're all dead. Oh, Puggles? No, you wanted to know. I spent 20,000 years creating the perfect race. Tall, blonde, all very Anna Nicole Smith-like. You know, in the, the good times, those, those months in between the donuts or the diet pills. They were the blueprint for her. But God always takes the credit. Do you know how much time and energy it takes to keep 1600 goddesses alive and, uh, well, uh, contented, not, uh, not jealous. 1600 well-fed and sexually sated goddesses! I mean, I was up to the task, but...
1: I... I thought you said children!
2: Hey, what kind of weirdo do you think I am? They were fully mature from the start. Well, anyways, there was this, uh, well, you know, this other planet. Uh, the planet over, over there. And it had this race of, uh, well, uh, pansexual hermaphrodites. I mean, what's a guy gonna do? Well, uh, my people sorta, sorta found out.
1: All the way from another planet?
2: The titty schlongs always complained that we went to their place. So goddamn needy. So I brought them to zor and made a standard sex island for about 20,000 men. You earthlings have no idea, really. Well, my people sort of, uh, well, learned how to set sail while I was distracted. Do you know what that's like, Patrick? Do you know how it feels to be caught with 20,000 fucking tentacles pleasing 20,000 pansexual hermaphrodites?
1: No, I, I, I can't say that I do.
2: Well, let's just say my goddess has got too close. I killed them all with, uh, well, with...
1: Your, uh, your, your, your tentacles?
2: No. A 20,000-strong money shot.
0: Which was also Jackson's finisher with Bowie. I saw that bout.
1: Emmy had wanted to get pregnant for as long as she could remember. Since the day she had graduated high school, she dreamed of having a baby of her own. She dreamed of holding a baby who looked like her, or her eventual husband. Boy or girl, she had no preference. She just wanted a delicious little chubby-cheeked baby to squeeze and hold, to dress, to change, and to nurture. Fortunately for Emmy, she hadn't gotten pregnant right out of high school. She didn't realize at the time that wanting to be a mother so badly at such a young age meant that she probably wasn't ready to be one. That and her boyfriend, Paul, was perhaps someone who should never father a child. They had dated starting in her junior year. She was a star volleyball player, and he was good at playing video games, driving ATVs, and smoking a lot of pot. And he did smoke a lot. When they graduated, they had moved in together, Because that is what you did when you were 18 and you were a Mitchell. You married your high school sweetheart and you planted yourself next to your mother so that pretty soon the whole neighborhood was generation after generation after surviving generation of Mitchells. Unless marriage changed your last name or someone got a wild hair wondering how the other half lived and blew up their high school sweetheart marriage by fucking the local mistake man. For her mother, the mistake man, had been a logger who blew into town. He was a tall, broad-shouldered alpha male who had no qualms with betting a married woman. Emmy only knew a little of what had happened, but she knew enough to know it had nearly torn their family apart. But her parents' marriage had survived by a thread, and though Emmy never knew it, she had been that thread. Emmy had found out about the affair in one of the worst possible ways, an outburst from the class asshole. As she came into homeroom one day, she saw Sierra, a girl who had nearly dated Paul before Emmy went out with him, laughing at something Lizzie, another student, was saying. Emmy's heart sank immediately. There was a bitchy look of triumph on Sierra's face that could only mean that she had some juicy dirt on someone, and seeing how she was staring at Emmy, that could only mean one thing. She thought that everyone was going to find out that she had given Paul a hummer in the photography darkroom. But what it ended up being was that Kevin, the class bully, had been running around with some older guys getting up to no good on the weekends, and one of those guys was a mid-twenties logger who was bragging about having bagged some MILF named Deborah. A year after high school, Emmy and Paul broke up and after she graduated college, she married a guy named Lance. Lance was a graphic designer and a sweet guy. It wasn't the fiery romance that she felt with her unstable previous boyfriends, but he was consistent and dependable, so much so that she hoped he could finally scratch the unending itch of getting pregnant. On one late summer afternoon, Emmy found herself in the back seat of Lance's Jeep on a dusty old stretch of County Road looking up at the stars. Before long, She was still watching the stars, but over Lance's shoulder as he mounted on top of her. At first, she moaned as he entered her, the desire to be full sated. But then it was replaced with the desire to be filled again and again. She felt his pumping buttocks move in rhythm with his member inside of her. She moaned, more because she knew he liked it than she actually felt anything worth moaning over. Sex was another mystery for Emmy. She wanted it until she was about to have it, and then it was something that made her uneasy. She felt too vulnerable and hated someone else having control over her body. Lance had been good and gentle, and better than anyone else she'd been with so far, because of that comfort, but she had never once climaxed. Perhaps it was because she couldn't help thinking about how badly she wanted him to impregnate her. Lance pumped faster. He was beginning to sweat a little. Emmy reached up and clawed at his back, and his body started to go rigid. Uh, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to, he said, and instinctively her hands went to his backside, and she gripped it like a cougar sinking its claws into prey. Emmy immediately felt a flood of moisture and heat, and she thought that if he came inside of her, just maybe, maybe she'd climax herself. You know, he said as he rolled off of her panting, with. With the way you always grab my ass like that, I'd swear you were, you were trying to force me into getting you pregnant," he said. Amy laughed and gave him a coy smile. "Oh, we should do this more often," Lance said to her. "Have sex?" she asked. "Well, <laughs> yeah, but, but no. I mean, I mean, come out here and look at the stars," he said as they lay on their back, looking up at the sky. "How do you mean?" she asked. I, I don't know, I just, I just find the universe to be, to be to be inspiring. Just think of the endless possibilities that are out there. Every time I look at the stars, I think about how enormous it all is and how insignificant our struggles are. Ah, when you put it that way, I don't think I want to, she said. No, I, I don't mean it in a bad way. I, I mean it like this. Nothing is so big and difficult that it is truly important in the long run. It's all just something we have to get through for the briefest of moments. Pain is only temporary, and, and, you know, darkness disappears. But if we can lie here and see light that travels from trillions of light years away, then there is nothing we go through that we can't endure. Does that make sense? He asked. Oh, no. (laughs) No, No, it doesn't, she said honestly. Uh, Yeah, well, maybe I don't know what I'm trying to say. I just love stargazing. Oh, and speaking of that, did you know we have a blue super blood moon coming up? He asked. No, what is that? She replied. Well, uh, a super moon is when the moon is at its closest point to Earth in its orbit and also full. A blue moon is when you have two full moons in a calendar month, and a blood moon is when you have a lunar eclipse and the shadow of the passing eclipse gives the moon a red tint. It's a very rare occurrence. We should come lay out here and watch it. Oh, is that how you want to try and get me back out here? With your fancy science talk? Are you sure watching the moon is all you want to do? She teased. Well, that and other things, he said as he began to kiss her and massage her exposed breast. As romantic as more stargazing sounded, Emmy knew it wouldn't make him change his mind about babies. Lance wanted to have a house and a paid-for car before he had children. He spoke about that often, giving Emmy the feeling that he was drawing a line in the sand, one that said, "Don't dare step across this, little lady." He doesn't think I'm ready, she told herself. It was the thought that always forced its way into her mind whenever the subject of children came up. She accused him several times of implying that she wasn't ready to have kids. It was a knee-jerk reaction that was so stereotypical that she hated it. She flipped everything around on him. If he did or said something wrong, she would throw such a fit that she'd have him apologizing to her without knowing what he was even apologizing for. I went from crazy girlfriend to crazy wife, she thought. Emmy worked at an elementary school, which she supposed was her version of being an opioid addict getting a methadone prescription. She felt temporarily sated after being around the children, but eventually she'd get home and she would find herself needing a child. She wanted one so badly, more than anything, just like she needed a climax for the first time. To feel herself fulfilled, knowing that with her climax she would conceive and become satisfied. She began Googling how to get her partner to also want a child. She found articles that told her how to change herself in ways that would make Lance feel more adequate as a partner. These internet gurus of the masculine sense of potency told her to be happy and ingratiating, to make him feel as though she was content and thriving and like he and his big swinging mini Lance were all to think for it. In short, they told her to act in the way she thought getting pregnant would make her feel. It reminded her of one of the sales jobs she had in college where they told her that she had to fake it until she made it. Her newfound sense of contentment certainly had an effect on Lance. It seemed to increase his libido threefold. But his stance on children didn't change. He didn't want one yet. The likelihood of it happening accidentally increased with every time that they did it, but she supposed she should feel guilty for wanting it to happen, no matter if it happened as an accident. After one particularly excessive orgasm, when Lance left the room for a hand towel, she found herself thinking about one article she read where a woman had inseminated herself with her partner's spunk. For a brief moment, she considered doing this, but then she felt a wave of anxiety so strong that when he offered another round, she turned him down even though she knew they'd be more likely to get pregnant if they did it again. The house hadn't happened yet. And the only paid-for car they had was Lance's Geo Metro that he drove in college, which was now rusting away in the right-hand parking slot in the driveway in front of their rental. He refused to sell it because he thought having at least one paid-for car was smart. Lance was smart, sure enough, but he was also a penny-pinching bore. Amy didn't have the patience to plan it all out. She was 24 and felt as though she had wasted her better childbearing years. Then, to add insult to injury, Tori, Emmy's best friend, called her to say that she and Jason were expecting. Tori had been so afraid that she had started selling essential oils to help supplement their income while they were expecting. Jason had put his name in for extra hours in the oil field. They already double our income, Emmy thought. But that was Tori, always stressing out and making sure she did everything the right way. She and Lance should have been a couple. That way, they could have secured the perfect little white picket fence fucking future before popping out the most vanilla little boring babies the world has ever seen, she thought. Later that night, high on wine and thinking of potential baby names, Emmy came across an article about a Wiccan fertility rite. It said that on full moons, if you were to drink nettle tea, bathe yourself in a bath full of lavender oil, rose oil, and moonstone crystals before making a poultice from apples and bananas, then rubbing it into the roots of an old oak tree. You would be able to touch the spirit of the goddess just enough to ensure optimum fertility. The next day, Emmy bought an essential oil set from Tori that just happened to contain the two necessary oils. A few days later, she convinced Lance to go visit his brother and go fishing. She even rented a drift boat for them. It was enough to make Lance forget about the upcoming Super Blood Moon. Emmy was going to get good and drunk, do her right, and then give Lance the time of his life the next day when he got home. She wondered briefly if perhaps the Super Blood Moon thingy would be too much for the ritual. But that was ridiculous. The ritual in itself was ridiculous. But she was getting desperate. The evening arrived, and Emmy found herself watching a partly cloudy sky and fearing that some of the juju might get thrown out of whack if the clouds happened to cover the moon at the wrong moment. A few glasses of wine removed her fear, and she began with her nettle tea and oil bath. The nettle tea tasted like chewing on grass. She choked it down and then got into her bath. She hadn't known how much oil to put into the bath, but not taking any chances, she dumped both bottles, which made her water far too potent. I'm going to smell like that place I bought the crystals at, she thought, and then realized she'd forgotten the crystals in the paper bag down on the counter. Emmy got up and went downstairs and found the bag right where she had left it. She decided that now was as good a time as any to start washing the fruit, and so she ran water over a strainer full of apples and bananas then went back upstairs to resume her bath. Despite the smell, the bath was relaxing, and she found herself feeling very content, if not a little horny, when she dried herself off with one of her new plush towels. She thought about dressing, but feeling her still firm young breasts beneath the robe, she decided that she wasn't going to put anything on until she'd done the ritual and then made love to Lance the next day. She went downstairs, where she took out a white plastic cutting board and chopped up the fruit and then smashed it all together in a bowl. She went out into the backyard and looked up at the moon. It looked big, much bigger than she was used to seeing it, but wasn't quite sure if it was anything all that super. However, her timing had been perfect, as the blood moon effect was in full swing. Emmy stepped out onto the porch and then went down the wooden steps and into the yard where a large oak stood. She felt a cold draft come up between her legs and through the cleft of the robe and over her breasts. Her nipples hardened instantly, and she let out a small moan that caught her off guard, but was not at all unwelcome. She went to the base of the tree where she placed the bowl of poultice. Though instructed to focus her thoughts on the god and goddess, she comically thought that it was like putting out food for a stray cat. Here, gotty, gotty, gotty. Here, gotty, gotty she thought as she set down the poultice and looked up at the moon. The cool air reached through the robe again, and this time it seemed to hold her in all of the places she yearned to be touched and filled. What were the words? she thought. And she couldn't quite remember what she had read. Something about the god and goddess. "I'm I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do, she said, hoping her neighbors weren't around to hear her. Because... I'm new at this, let's see, okay, shit, sorry, um please accept my offering and bless me with child, oh God and goddess of fertility, she said, feeling an excited sort of anxiety wash over her as though something was about to happen, and then, after a moment, oh, okay, I, I think that is all I, I'm done. She said, and tried to remember what she was supposed to do. She was supposed to focus on thinking about a baby and fertility but maybe she'd drunk too much, and now she was realizing just how foolish she looked. She began to laugh, and that is when the cool wind pushed the robe from her shoulders and wrapped her like a blanket. The wind, or, or something else more invisible, lifted her from the ground. She floated as though weightless, and her hair blew around her, making her look as if she were underwater. Her back arched as pure pleasure exploded like a flash of light through her body. She felt like a battery that had been charged. She was on fire. When she came back down to Earth, she found herself not entirely alone in her own thoughts. "'Consume,' a voice said from inside of her head, and Emmy felt herself stricken with a need for fruit unlike any hunger she'd ever felt. It wasn't just hunger. It was a need to be filled with the poultice she'd made. She took it by handfuls, shoving it into her mouth, and, when her mouth became too full to take any more, she shoved it into other equally ravenous orifices, until she found herself sated. You are now fertile, the voice that was neither masculine nor feminine, neither was it her own, said inside of her, Now go and conceive. At the Backstrap Bar and Saloon, a real Friday night hoedown had turned into another cowboy cock comparing contest. Mac, the bartender, was twisting the corner of his handlebar mustache as he fingered the phone, getting ready to call 911. The barback Willie was trying to cool things down, but he was five foot seven, and if he had any shape, it was not muscular; it was lumpy. Johnny Stills and Alan Hote were standing toe to toe. Johnny was six and a half feet of long and lanky, where Alan was a half foot shorter but stouter by a long shot. Alan was damn near standing on the toes of Johnny's boots and looking straight up at him, unblinking, but moving the chawn in his mouth around like a cow chewing cud. Now don't do it, Mac said, seeing the course and where it was going, hoping Alan was going to take the smart turn and sit back down. Johnny said nothing just stared at Alan. Mac knew it would be a bloody one if it got started. Both of these boys were tough as nails and more stubborn than a barn door. Once someone said go, neither of them were quitting until one of them knocked the other one's lights out. Alan was just about to spit all of that chaw into Johnny's face when he started choking on it. Mac had already dialed a 9 and a 1, with his finger hovering over the last one, as he waited to see how it all played out. The sight of the pretty brunette walking in had choked Alan up and froze Mac's hand, partly because she were too damn pretty to be in the buck this time of night, but mostly because she was also buck-ass naked. She walked up to the bar, naked and smelling so fresh and so sweet that Mac closed his eyes and strange visions of writhing flesh came in and out of his mind. It was so base and carnal that without realizing it, he had become instantly erect. Can, can, uh, can, I, can I get you a drink, ma'am? He said. Chaw was running down Alan's lips. Yes, she said. I'll have some more wine. Something red and, and fruity? Mac stuttered and tried to tell her that the only wine they had probably needed thrown out months ago. But he couldn't tell her anything that would make her want to leave. She took up a napkin and wiped Alan's face had gone red he was nearly sweating when she touched him he fell back onto the log bench behind him and groaned his pants immediately looked too tight in the crotch johnny who had stayed close by stumbled forward like a man possessed and reached for one of her exposed breasts later when the police arrived they did not know what to expect They had expected that the call was accidental because there was no one on the line and the sounds in the background were strange. There were sucking noises and moans that were barely human. It was when they realized where the call had come from that they decided to send a few officers to check. When officer Patrick Murphy walked into the bar, he found Alan Hote, John Stills, and Mac Anderson lying on their backs atop the bar. None of them were wearing pants, and all of them were lying with their hands on their bellies, staring up at the ceiling with blank eyes. Mac, what what happened? Patrick said as he approached the bar. At first, Patrick thought Mac took a deep breath, but that wasn't right because his belly only expanded and never went back down. The buttons on his shirt tightened and then popped. Oh, Oh, Christ! Patrick said walking backwards, stumbling over a pair of boots on the ground. The same strange expansion was taking place with Johnny and Alan. Patrick looked down to see Willie lying on the ground, swollen up like a ripe pumpkin. And then he heard a snapping sound and realized that Willie's ribs had just given way. And that is when the men began screaming. At the walk-in clinic later that night, Officer Patrick sat with his head in his hands. "'I can't get them to send any help,' he heard Dr. Ross say to the head nurse. "'I can't explain what is happening, and what little I've told them they don't believe.' "'Can you blame them?' the nurse said. "'Every bar in town was full of dead women and pregnant men,' she said as they both turned to look through the glass at the cafeteria where they had turned the clinic into a makeshift emergency quarantine. There were men in varying states of undress, lying with shirts cut off, exposing bruised and swollen bellies. All of them looked fit to deliver. "'I'll, I'll call again,' Dr. Ross said. "'Patrick, I'll need you to radio this in again as well.' They are, "'They're on their way,' he said." but there was an accident and the interstate is shut down. They'll get here in 30 on the back roads. Goddamn middle of nowhere town, the nurse said. And then at that moment, one of the men started screaming and then choking as blood gushed from his mouth. His belly moved as knees and hands and feet pressed against the tight skin. Slowly, the lump moved from the belly and into the upper chest cavity. The man's throat hard to say whose exactly, stretched so thin it nearly tore. The jaw broke and unhinged like a giant snake. Thorny, bone-like hands protruded from the gaping, blood-covered maw and wriggled like slimy, black blades. And then came arms, and then a head. The head was black, thin, and shining. The body that followed was skeletally thin and smooth. It was as black as oil reflecting in gaslight. As it emerged, three long black spires broke free as a thin embryonic sheath split. The spires stood like a crown of spears. All of the men and all of the bodies began writhing. The creatures bawled like newborn babes and thrashed on the floor, unable to hold themselves up. The front door to the clinic swung open, and instead of another officer or any type of help, Patrick saw Mrs. Mitchell, his neighbor three houses down, come walking in, bare naked. Oh, my babies, she said, a glowing smile you only see on the face of a new parent spreading. A tear fell down one of her cheeks. Don't, don't cry. Here comes mother.
0: Do you think that Puggles and Patrick will be okay? <laughs> is any of this okay? Is anything that they ever do okay? You know what I mean. I'd hate to see either of them get hurt. This is Puggles. All he does is hurt things. And what do you have a do you have a heart now? Oh, of course not. But that won't stop me from unrealistically shipping fictional characters. What do you mean fictional? Um What was that? We better go check on them.
2: Oh, just just barge in, why don't you?
0: So rude. Oh, blood of the gods. Puggles, you've... He's curled up in his bed nursing his litter.
1: I've never been so proud in my life. Puggles, you've given me the world. (laughs) Oh, God, they've all got Patrick's face. Tell me I make a lovely mother, Flesh bags. You make...
0: Uh, you make... Uh, <coughs> oh my god. You are adorable. Can I hold them? monster porn podcast is a production of warped box media who is solely responsible for the content of this podcast and very sorry very very sorry we're gonna go think about our life choices Good day, Monster Baiters. Brett here. If you enjoyed this episode of Monster Porn, first, I'm not sure you're fit to raise children. And second, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. For every 25 new reviews, we'll release a full-length bonus episode like the Black Eyed Children double feature that we did a few weeks ago. Mapples, with a 3 for an E, on Apple Podcasts says, The best. Been bidging since I found it. Pseudopod-like ambience with more humor and amazing voice acting. A must-listen for anyone with a love for great writing and or horror. A love shack and a crypt. That is right. Thank you, Mapples. you also an Apple Podcast, says For monster Vaders. That's right. You two make music out of text writing. You too make me forget about my insignificant life, and you too give me inspiration to write my own. Love you, please love me too. We do, Blob Are you, we do. I also want to say thanks for the positive response to the installment of Pastorus we ran for our last episode. I really appreciate it, and your love and support in general. Finally, if you're a hardcore monster baiter like your mom and dad, hit up our store at teespring.com slash stores slash monster porn or via our website to check out the awesome t-shirt design by Nick Calavera. That's it. We hope you have a weird one. If you made it this far, you're certainly off to a good start. Until the shark angels come, Godspeed, strange cowboy.
1: And I'm reading this as though it's normal, and it is really fucking weird. She shoved it into... Other equally ravenous orifices. (laughs) I can't believe I wrote that. Equally ravenous. God damn
0: it. Ravenous orifices. That
1: should be the title of this. Ravenous orifices. Oh, we kicked off The sequel will be called
0: Volume
1: (laughs) 2. Ravenous orifices Volume 2. Okay. Mac stuttered and tried to tell her that the only wine they had probably needed thrown out months ago. She said as they both turned to look through the gra- the grass. Well, the uh, well, the the
2: titty schlongs always complained that we only went to their
1: place. <laughs> oh fuck, man! <laughs> I totally forgot about that name. <laughs>
2: Do you know how it feels to be caught with 20,000 fucking tentacles pleasing tini- God, that's a lot of fucking words. (laughs) Do you know how it feels to be caught with 20,000 fucking tentacles pleasing 20,000 pansexual
1: hermaphrodites? Yeah,
0: absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks,
1: Brett. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, now I see why you thought that was weird.